Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Whack Whack from Buddy Rich, a great way to start the programme this morning. Hi, this is me, Elliot Moss, and you're listening to Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My business shaper today is Herbie Dial. He is the co-founder of KMI. That stands for Knowledge and Merchandise Incorporated, not necessarily that you would know that bit. He was, in fact, the co-founder with a previous guest called Will King. He's in the toiletries and related uh, items business, and we're going to be talking a lot to Herbie about what he is doing with his phenomenally large and burgeoning business. In addition to talking to Herbie, we'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, some great music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Didi Bridgewater, Ahmed Jamal, and this from Albert King. The familiar sound of Albert King with Kansas City. Herbie Dial is my business shaper, as I said earlier. He's the co-founder of KMI. They look after brands including Ted Baker, the Fish hairstyle brands, all Keeley, Scott Cornell. They're the hair colour people. I don't need it yet, but I will soon, I'm sure. And uh, lots of other things. And Herbie, it's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. You've been in this business for over 20 years or so. Just tell me a little bit about how you and Will came to end up being partners, because partnership's an important part of business, isn't it? Very important, yes. I mean, we started the business at a time when uh, both of us were doing other things, and both of us were looking for um, a business of our own. And at that time, um, Will had developed a a shaving product, the King of Shaves, uh, shaving oil, and he came to me and he said, look, this is helping me um, shave properly and not have red razor burn all over me. Um, would you like to invest? Would you like to come in? And I didn't really have a problem with shaving, but I liked the product. And I thought, okay, so this is a product. We can sell it. It works for somebody and it will work for other people. So I came in. That's how we, that's how we started. And what made you feel that this would be a good investment, apart from liking the product? What was it about Will? Did you know each other before that point? I mean, how did you come to then, how did he come to yeah, proposition yes. you? Well, we were friends, and, and we had met some, some years before, and um, had kept in close contact um, while we were doing two different types of, of business, our own businesses at that time. Um, so we were always talking about business ideas and opportunities. And so it was natural for him to then ask me to, to come in, and for me to, knowing him, to say, yeah, that would be a good idea. Now, you've been the management consultant before that yeah. and various other things. What were you doing at the time? When well, you um, briefly, I had, um, I had been a management consultant. I'd been to INSEAD, actually, and done an MBA, which really set me off on that track. And I went to uh, a big American strategy consultancy in London called Booz Allen. I worked with them for a number of years. And then I was running my own consultancy uh, at the time that I met Will. But quite quite opposed to everything we, we would do in a consultancy, i.e. 
the analysis, the background, the you know, get the information, get the the market view, put the business plans together. We didn't do any of that. We just had one product, which was a bit of oil, basically, and said, you know what, we're going to set about and try and sell this. And that's how it started. And we, we both said, yeah, okay, well, let's try it. Let's go for it and let's do it. And how fast after that decision that you'd made, which was kind of counter to all your training and your mm. uh, the, the academic side of it, as well as, well as the kind of the, the practical application through management consultancy, how soon after did you go, you know what, this could be a big business? Oh, it, it took a little time. I mean, we, we, were, we always thought it would be successful. I don't, I'm not sure exactly why, but we always felt that uh, it would be successful. But, I mean, there were years, for instance, when I first joined, the turnover of the company in the first year we were together was far lower than the salary I'd been earning. So it wasn't really a big business in any sense, and it took time to, to get the retailers on board, to get customers, to you know all the usual things that you have to do. Remember, we didn't have any background in the industry. We didn't know any buyers. We didn't know where to make the product. We didn't really know much, apart from the fact that we felt that this was a good product. That's the only thing we really had at that time. Stay with me to find out how the good product turned into a rather successful business. That's my business shaper, Herbie Dahl, that you've been listening to me talking to. Time for some music. This is Little Bee's poem from Dee Dee Bridgewater. <laughs> Upbeat wasn't that. That's Little B's poem from Dee Dee Bridgewater. I've been talking to Herbie Dial, and he's the co-founder of Care My Brands, but really was uh, the man with Will King behind the, the shaving oil that has now really taken off and took off many, many years ago. You were talking about, listen, we just knew we had a good product. I always knew it would work. There was no money in it for the first few years. When was that first tipping point, and how do you think you made it tip? Well, I mean, I think from a, from a uh, company point of view, we, we took maybe three years, three and a half years to, to try and get all of the retailers on board. So, you know, the big UK retailers, Boots, Tesco, et cetera, et cetera, and Superdrug and so on. We needed to have these. Is that just, just to ask on that point, because these are big retailers, mm-hmm. is that just simply tenacity that you get them? Because if you didn't have a track record in the industry, do you just go until they just go, you know what, okay, we'll stop you? I mean, what's the argument? How does it work for a newbie in the industry? Well, I think it's all about the story that you're telling and, and the role that your product is playing in the, in the marketplace. They've got shelves full of products. They don't need any new products, but they will accept new products if they're doing something different, if they're offering the customer something different. If you were just coming out with a product that's similar to in a, or pretty much the same as what's already out there, it's very difficult for, for a new entrant into the marketplace. Uh, so a new entrant has to have something innovative, something different and something that people can talk about and you can get a lot of PR and press on. Which was really your instinct around why it would work because it was all those things, this, this lovely little shaving oil, right? Yeah. I mean, a- and it was the only thing we had. So we had to, had to give it a <laughs> so go. So it better be good because <laughs> there, there was nothing else to back. Exactly. But then this tipping point, sorry, you were, you were talking about, so you, you got the retailers on board and then what? Well, then we were looking at the stats and looking at how, how it sold and what we were finding was that this product would sell a certain number per week per store. And then after a few weeks, you would see that number double or increase. And so that meant, well, probably the same people who bought the product originally are coming back 
and are are repurchasing it. And that is central to everything we do, the fact that you make products that people are going to be delighted with and that they are going to then come back and and repurchase. Because the amount of work that goes into making and launching a product is huge. And if you do that and only have one buy and then the customer says, well, you know what, that was all right but not really good enough, then you just wasted everybody's time. Now, the UK took off and then you went, you know what, we're a young business, we're quite small, we've got some energy, we've got vision, let's go and launch in America. You did that, didn't you? Yes, that, that did take place in um, maybe quite, well, quite a few years ago now. And uh, the product went into a variety of stores uh, in the US and has, has been around and stuck around for, for a long time. And uh, you made it work at that point because what? Again, same, same principle. There was a gap in the market. There was room on the shelves, and therefore there was a place in the consumers. Yes, and there was a story that was being told that was that was interesting and new and different. Yes. Now, just before we go to the travel and so on, the, the thing I'm really interested in, I believe everyone was saying, you know what, you've got to get eaten up into a big international brand. But you guys said, we want to remain independent. We'll do our own thing. Thank you very much. You ignored the logic of the market, as it were. Why did you do that at that time? Well, I, th- I think by this time we had not only this business, but we had other brands that had come into the fold. So uh, about uh, five or six years in, um, we decided that we wanted to do something in, in fragrance, some other you know business. And so we looked around for a name to do the fragrance with because it was it's generally a business that's licensed. And uh, so we got, came across Ted Baker. We met up with, with the founder of Ted Baker, Ray, um, and we did a deal with him pretty quickly. And so we had then another business, and then we were moving forward. So there wasn't really any reason to to think about amalgamating with somebody else because we had things going on uh, for ourselves that were exciting and, and adequate for what we were trying to do. And you strike me as quite an independent kind of person as well. I can't imagine you particularly like being told what to do and wouldn't, wouldn't have done it in a massive corporation. It's not. I mean, I worked in corporations uh, prior to doing my my MBA and all that, and also afterwards, obviously, as a consultant, I worked with very large corporations all all the time. I don't have a problem with with being told what to do. The issue is much more about if you want to shape your own future and have a vision of what you try to do, then as long as you can do it yourself, do it yourself. Fantastic advice. Stay with me for much more from Herbie Dial, my business shaper today. Travel came up in a couple of minutes, as I promised earlier. And before that, some words of wisdom from our program partners for your business. And they are from Mishkondare. My name is Andrew Remington, and I'm a corporate partner at Mishkondare. Uh, very often, uh, the key uh, component that makes deals uh, last the test of time is when you start a transaction with trust and credibility on both sides. Very often, people will um, be very reluctant to disclose the key issues that are relevant for them. But I find that actually having a very forthright discussion at the outset of a meeting can help set the ground rules very early on. But let me give you an example. If a transaction has both strengths and weaknesses, and let's face it, what doesn't, which should you deliver first, the strengths or the weaknesses? Surprisingly, the answer to that is that if you have weaknesses to disclose, uh, our body of evidence suggests that actually by uh, empathising with the other person's position and identifying that there are concerns that they may well have as a legitimate third party, by addressing those issues first shows not only trustworthiness and credibility uh, in negotiations, but also shows that you have empathy towards their position. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.
You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. If you happen to want to catch any of the previous shows, go to cityam.com. That's your destination for lots of some of the brilliant guests that I've had over the last few years. Herbie Dial is my brilliant guest today. He's the co-founder of KMI, and since 2009, he's been flying solo. He's been doing his own thing and developing the KMI business from, uh, as we, you heard earlier, from fragrances into hairstyling and other home fragrances and, and things like that. Since you've been doing your own thing completely, what's the vibe felt like for you as you think about the way you approach the business? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's not just me. We have a team of twenty five people. Um, I have a management team that includes a managing director and a, a brand director and a finance director. Um, so it's a team, and it's um, it's been it's been um, you know a fabulous journey. And we're at a position today where we've got some very good, very strong brands. Well, we are really developing our markets here and in the U.S., and we have a huge amount of opportunities. And I think the main thing that we're faced with now is being selective across the opportunities that we have because you can't do everything. You do have any corporation has limited resources somewhere or another. They're finite. and um, But you have lots of exciting opportunities walking in through the door every day. And um, we're the type of people who get very excited about them, and we want to do them, and we'd really feel quite disappointed when there are things that we can't do. But we have to be quite strict and we have to focus and say, we're going to do this, we're not going to do that, and then concentrate on the one that we've selected and make that a success. And that selection process, um, I imagine the MBA is useful, I imagine many, many years in business is useful. At the end of the day, what are your own internal criteria for deciding whether to go for Project A or Project B? Well, there are obviously quantitative uh, measures that are that are fairly straightforward, which are to do with um, you know, what is the investment required and what is the likely return what is the size of business and size of opportunity and so on. So the, the quantitative side, I think, is fairly straightforward. But the the other side is, to what extent does it fit with our people, with our culture, with the types of things that we want to do, and what does it do for the company in terms of our reputation and, and uh, other things like that. So there are, there are the quantitatives, which we go through quite quickly, uh, but it's the qualitatives that we really spend a lot of time, more time thinking about. Tell me a bit about your culture. What's the culture that Herbie Dial has created um, in his business? Well, I, I would hope that the culture is one where most of the people who have responsible positions carry that responsibility themselves and are free to do that so that they, um, they know what they've got to do, they know what their uh, remits are, and they will get on with that. And I think that gives people a sense of personal um, accomplishment that they feel that they've been personally responsible for delivering something rather than having somebody hold their hand doing it. And uh, that empowers them then, I think, to to develop their own skills and capabilities and move on. More coming up from Herbie today here on Jazz Shape. It's time for some more music. And aptly, this is Saturday morning from Ahmed Jama. That was Ahmed Jamal with Saturday Morning. Um, Herbie, we've been talking about culture and um, you talk about that freedom, that sense that people know that they have the drive to go forward and deliver the things that make them happy, that make you happy. That sounds like, and obviously we don't know each other very well at all, but that sounds a bit like you and your your philosophy and what you think works best for most human beings. Do you think it's, uh, you've obviously designed the company in that mould. Is it possible to design a company in any other mold than the than the founder himself or herself? 
Oh, look, there are, there are thousands of companies out there and um, uh, in, in the whole world of commerce, and they're all very different. Uh, but to a large extent, they are all molded by the, the, the nature and often the psychosis of the founder. So whatever the founder is, is about, whether he's a, a, a warm and all-encompassing and embracing person or whether he he's rules a bit more with a rod of iron, I don't know. But many things work, and many things have worked over, over the years. Um, for me, it's just a question of what I feel comfortable with. And, and so it should be for anybody running a business. How would your team describe your psychoses, as you refer to them? <laughs> the psychoses were meant to be other people's. Obviously, of, of course they were, but your own. What would they say in, 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 in serious terms, in terms of the leader, the guy who runs it, the guy who set this thing up, what do they say about Herbie? Well, Why, what I do th- they work I think, for you? I think they'll say that, um, I think they would say that I get very excited about things. I get very, very uh, uh, happy when I see new innovative products turning up on, on, the, on the desk and... Um, when I think we're going to do something that's really worthwhile and that's really good. And so, you know, I get very excited by, by that. And it's much more about product, I think, that, I, that they would say I get interested uh, rather than, you know, the financial side, the numbers and this and that, although that's very relevant, obviously. But um, if we've got great products that people want to buy, then everything else will take care of itself. In terms of the financials, have you had to look for funding over the years? Have you always been a self-funded business? No, we have had uh, funding in the past, and uh, but that has been you know debt from from banks, so not really uh, any outside uh, investment from from outside shareholders, none of that. Um, and with the bank debt is is all been paid off, and we don't have any at the moment. So uh, obviously, you use debt when you need it, and if you want to do something, you want to buy a company, or you want to whatever you want to do, you should use it. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, and with interest rates being where they are, it's it's very helpful. Um, and we will use uh, use funding if we need to, but right now we don't need any. We'll have our final chat with Herbie Plus playing track from Mark Murphy. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs> Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens Brown paper packages tied up with string These are a few of my favourite things An innovative take on my favourite things from Mark Murphy. Herbie Dial is with me just for a few more minutes. Um, your business has grown significantly and pretty fast as well. You've got 40 million plus turnover, if my stats are right. And usually people blink at me and they think, no, they're much higher at it, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, how have you done it? I mean, you talk about product focus. You talk about a, a combination of quantitative and qualitative and all those things and a strong culture, and I, and I get all that. But it takes quite a lot of courage to keep going and to build this thing up and not to be scared of the height that you've reached how have you managed to consistently grow this business and how will you continue to do so in the future? The, um, just to say the 40 million is what the retail sales are sure. of our business. But um, the way we've, we've grown is uh, across two, two different aspects. One is that we've added brands to what we do. So we have, you mentioned them earlier, we have uh, Ted Baker, which is a very big part of our business. We have Walla Kylie, uh, Scott Cornwall Fish and so on. So, the number of brands, in other words, the number of areas you're operating in has grown. So that has helped uh, helped us. And then, of course, within each of those ranges, the number of products we have um, has been growing as well. So that each range has 
I mean, you know, Ted Baker might have 100 products in, in that range. Uh, Fish will have 25. Obviously, there's a number of ways of, of, of growing the business, but the reality is that you look for opportunities. You look at what the, what gaps there are in the marketplace, and we are forever thinking about new product ideas and new products, both within the brands that we got and perhaps for other newer brands that might come in later. And just looking forward, before I ask you for your song choice, um, what does the future hold? Have you got, you want to keep going? You want to stop it? This is enough. You want enough projects, enough brands, enough sub, you know, sub brands and different SKUs and so on. Or is there a much bigger future for, for Herbie and the business? Well, we have um, a, a much bigger future in the business itself. There's no doubt about it. And that's, that's why uh, I have the management team that I have. They are um, not just going to sit there and, and manage the business as it is today, even though that's quite a big task. But they are all anxious to to make it a, a more sizable and more relevant uh, business, but within a con- in a controlled manner, so that it's it's all to do with. You only want to do things if they're going to be really good, if they're going to really make sense, rather than running around doing lots of things and none of them really working out. So that's important for me personally. Um, I have investments in other companies as well. So one which is relatively close to this one um, is a very, very high-end luxury home fragrance business, which were friends of mine, really, and I was their sort of mentor for a while. And there came a time when I put some money in and took some shares and so on, and I worked with them and helped them. And that's doing fabulously well. So there's probably going to be more of those sorts of things where I'm not actually involved day to day, but um, I am hopefully in some way or another helpful uh, to, to them to make, make a success of their business. Herbie, fantastic. Listen, you make it all sound so straightforward, and I know it's not. So um, you seem very calm and very steely at the same time. I wouldn't want to get the wrong side of you. Listen, thank you so much for my business, Shaper. Um, just thank before you. I let you go, as I said, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Oh, look, um, I, I was asked to choose a, a track. I've chosen Doing It by Herbie Hancock, and I was looking at what I should choose. And obviously, with a name like Herbie Hancock, what else am I going to choose? <laughs> well, we like Herbie Hancock here. So here he is for you. Thanks again. Thank you. was doing it from Herbie Hancock, the son choice of my business shaper today, Herbie Dial. A very calm operator. I think it would take quite a lot to ruffle his feathers. Very straightforward as well. Just kept it simple and he's got a big business there and yet it just sounded so, so clear. And finally, very steely. Someone that if he says he's going to do it, you know he's going to do it. Great stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place, 9am Jazz FM next Saturday morning. In the meantime, though, stay right here because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal.